Today we're reading Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Courtney. Oh, it's good to be together. Man, I loved worshiping together as well, just to have the Lord's presence move in our midst. And uh, it's amazing how this is just a, it's a school, and it's a beautiful school, but our prayer every, every week that we get together is that God would actually transform the school into a sanctuary of his presence. Like a church, there are, we can say, hey, that's a church, that's a church, but truly, as we're going to see this morning, church is people. And, uh, and that the Lord is having us gather here this morning. Um, when I met Jesus in uh, college at the University of Northern Iowa, um, it was interesting because um, I had grown up kind of around church and stuff, but I hadn't put my trust in Jesus. Like, I didn't know for sure if he was real, like for real, 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 you know? I knew, like, I was, wouldn't say I was an atheist, but I just wasn't sure if he was real. And, uh, and then I met Jesus, and then in some way, it was, sounds so ridiculous, but I kind of thought it was so life-changing for me, I thought I was maybe the first Christian. I, it sounds so arrogant and weird, but like, I was like, are there others? Are there others who like, know he's for real, real? Because you know, it was just so revolutionary for me, and I've known now that there are many people in the community that I grew up in that, that really love and walk with Jesus, but um, I was just had kind of a religious perspective, and so then when I went to get my master's degree in like biblical stuff and learn Greek and Hebrew and all that stuff, I thought I would just like do like pastoral stuff and leave, but then I started learning about history in the history of the church. And I was like, okay, I'm changing my major. I'm gonna be here as long as it takes. I need to know our history. And one of the reasons is what I realize is that learning about 2,000 years of church history is just learning about what God was up to before we showed up. Like we are the alive people now, but uh, he is not like just aware now. Like God was, was just as alive and working 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 600 years ago as he is now. And us learning about those who have gone before us uh, gives us roots. And really like in storms, a lot of times you can look back and sometimes you feel it, like a lot of family reunions sometimes can just feel like really weird and meeting a lot of really weird people, you know, and, and oh, this is why we only meet each other once a year, you know. Uh, but in its best form, 
family reunions feel like you go back to your roots, right? Like we even use those terms, our roots, and roots like hold you in place and hold you uh, in times where you may be pushed around. Well, uh, we're gonna, this is kind of, we're going in this trajectory this morning of remembering our past, Okay, remembering our past in the book of Ephesians. We have these little uh, study guide booklet things. Uh, some people might have brought a Bible that's a different translation, and, uh, and there's reasons why, because uh, the Bible was written not in English, so we're all reading a translation. Uh, but we provide these two that you can write notes on and all that stuff, the booklets, and so feel free, that's yours. If you don't own your own copy of the Bible, we have like the first chair Bible, that's yours. Feel free to take it with you. Um, but for some of us, when we think of remembering our story, we're like, oh, this is great. Got to get to go on memory lane. This is a fun lane to walk down. I love my story. I love growing up here or wherever you grew up. But for some people, like remembering your story is not something you want to do. Like it can actually be really painful to think about where we've come from and think about our past. And we, we actually don't want to remember our story. Um, some of us, we like remember together. When I think of just like time, like I was like, okay, remembering. When do we remember? I was like, oh, the 4th of July, right? Is like, really, the 4th of July is a blasting of things, you know, blowing up stuff, but we're really remembering our independence. And we weren't around, like none of us fought in the Revolutionary War, right? But all of us, that remembrance of our independence actually affects us today because we are free people today, right? Uh, another thing that like we should remember and we need to remember, but maybe we don't remember it as much, and I was thinking, man, how often do I think about this, would be like something like World War II. You know, I know growing up here, man, a lot of the World War II vets, you know, I think of like Toppy Lillard and people like that, that in my eyes were just like these like living legends in our community because of their involvement in World War II. And unfortunately, like fewer and fewer and fewer people uh, that were involved in World War II are still around. But if we don't remember the lessons of World War II, oh my gosh, like we are destined to repeat terrible things that should never be repeated again. So why I mention all of that is because we come to the first commandment in the book of Ephesians, okay? So the first, for you know, grammar nerds, the first imperative in all of the words that we've covered in Ephesians so far, the first imperative where Paul's like, okay, I'm dropping a command, is a command to remember, the remember is the first thing that he actually commands us to do uh, in this, to remember. And in remembering, hopefully we're given roots, but not just roots, but a trajectory to look forward and to live forward. So uh, the passage that was read, if you hadn't turned there yet, we'll have the words on the screen too, uh, is Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Look at this. Therefore, remember, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, in those just two verses, there's a lot of words here. There's a lot of concepts that the Ephesians wouldn't have even known what these words mean. Okay, Because he's basically going Jewish on us 
to an audience of people who are not Jewish, but he's communicating these things to us because they're very important for us to remember and to know. And if you kind of condense all of those two verses into just a short thing to chew on, it's this. Remember, the place to him was blocked. Okay? Remember, the place to him was blocked. This is written to Gentiles. It's clear the audience in verse 11, remember that one time you were Gentiles, so there's no doubt who the audience of this letter is. Gentiles are simply not Jews, not the chosen people of God. Okay, God had selected a people to be his own, where it'd be clear that these people are distinct and different from all the other nations and peoples on the, place of, on, on the face of the earth. These are different. And the temple, so there would be a physical place. Some of you have even traveled there. But the temple would be one place on earth where his presence would dwell with his people. So circumcision was this physical sign for those who were in the community of faith. Those who were not circumcised were not in the community of faith. They were outsiders, okay? It says in verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. It means uh, that word Christ, remember we've talked about this in, in previous weeks, that is the, the Hebrew, it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah. So basically the, the one who all of these prophecies of the Old Testament was about, you were separated from him. You were separated from the Messiah, they were, the, they were alienated from the people, awaiting the Messiah. The way was blocked. And for hundreds of years, amazingly, God's people could go to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem and get close to where God was dwelling on earth. In the temple system, it was really clear. Okay, they were actually like walls. So in the temple system, if you go to Jerusalem, it's very, there are signs that say, hey, this way to the temple. And it's very clear to say, like, you are approaching the presence of God on earth. He is choosing to dwell inside of the temple, and we are approaching him. And it was really clear how to get there. It was clear getting there, but it was also clear that Gentiles were not allowed to get super close. Gent for Gentiles, the way was blocked. Here's what's crazy. Archaeologists uh, digging in Jerusalem have found two signs from different sides of the of the. Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and the, the two signs, and we have a picture of, of one of the, so this is one of the signs that during Old Testament times, if you were in Jerusalem and you were trying to get close to God, you would get to this sign, and they both say the same thing, and uh, which says, no stranger, no stranger is to enter within the balustrade that's around the temple in the enclosure. Check this out. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So, I mean, you would approach a place that says, hey, the way's blocked. So this is for real. Like, you, you get to that stone, and it's like, hey, if you get any closer, just you're responsible for your ensuing death. It's about ready to go down. If you were coming to the temple system, it was so clear now, it was also clear, so Paul is coming, it was also clear, though, that you could get close. You could get about 100 yards from the temple, okay? So God is not just saying, like, hey, you're not allowed, but he's saying, like, hey, the way is blocked for you to get super close to me. 
um, you can get about 100 yards from my presence, and that's as close. You have to be actually born into the community of faith to get any closer. Then there's a court of women and a court of men. Then only one person was chosen once a year to go actually into the Holy of Holies. What I find is interesting is here in rural central Iowa, in these communities, it's not that clear. It was clear then of like, hey, the way is blocked to God. But here, it, it's, it's not so clear for us. Um, about a year ago, I was riding around Oklahoma City with a college-age guy. And this guy grew up in the church. Uh, he was around a lot of church stuff. And he was, he was explaining what his beliefs were. And he was talking about like, hey, I don't believe that. I do, I think maybe I possibly believe that, but I don't think Jesus is God. I don't think Jesus, I think Jesus is real, but I don't think he, I don't think he died for my sins. I'm not sure. I want to believe that, but I'm not sure I believe it. So, I mean, it was like a 30-minute conversation with this 23, 24-year-old guy. Um, some of you know him, Gavin uh, from Oklahoma City, uh, neat guy. Um, and he, um, I, I like looked over him at one point while we were driving around and I was like, hey, Gavin, I just want you to be clear. You're not a Christian. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it, but I was like, hey, I know it's like really, it can be cloudy. And it can be cloudy of like, am I Christian? Am I not Christian? I was like, Gavin, like this is actually good. What you have shared with me, you have clarity that your trust is not in Jesus and you are not a Christian. You are not a Christian right now as we sit in the car. And the way that he says it here is when the way to God is blocked, you have no hope and without God in the world. Now, you can have hope that your bank account looks good. You can have hope that you've got food in the refrigerator. But what he's talking about is like a soul level of hope that you cannot go to bed saying, I have hope, that because you are without God in the world. Now, I think at this time we have to ask, are we tracking with Paul? Because Paul's given us the command to remember that the way was blocked, and are we tracking with him? Are you remembering when you realize that the place to God was blocked, that your sin was keeping you from God and that did not give you the hope of eternal life. Are you remembering that? Or when you think about it, is it like, man, I don't know if I ever had a time that I could remember remembering that. I don't know if there was ever a time where, where I, I, now many, some people have been brought up just always trusting Jesus, which is incredible. That's what I hope my kid's story will be. But for many of us who didn't grow up, with putting our trust in Jesus, like, is your memory foggy this morning about remembering a time when the way to God was blocked, when your sin blocked the way to God? And I want to just tell you, like, I am preaching bad news. It's like, if you woke up for a pick-me-up, it's not happening right now. Like, this is actually bad news. And it can stay bad news forever. It can like refusing to remember a time before when the way was blocked, that can remain bad news forever. It can. But it doesn't have to stay bad news because Paul doesn't stop writing. 
So if we don't remember the time when the way was blocked, we're not going to actually be excited to go from there. But if we remember a time when the way was blocked, now we can actually like fully be like, okay, let's get to verse 13, please. So look at verse 13, but now. So last week, it started by saying, but God. This time it says, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and he has broken down in his flesh that dividing wall of hostility. Even when the archaeologists found it, it was broken down and it was laying on the ground by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father." So if we boil this down once again, uh, there's a lot of incredible details here that we're going to walk through, but most simply what he's saying is remember he tore down the wall. So remember the place then was blocked, then remember he tore down the wall. And you aren't tracking with Paul if you're like, no, 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 we all just make it, no, just kind of be a good person and, uh, you know, don't do anything that Hitler did and like just be a nice person and we all make it in. And it's like, well, we got to convince the Father and the Son of this because it looks like they've talked about a totally different way. And to embrace that the way is blocked, that, that when we look around and we're like, man, there's something really messed up with this place. And then to see he tore down the wall. We aren't the hero of the story. We didn't do any tearing down the wall. He tore down the wall. We who are far off, rightfully so, fully deserving all that came our way, but he drew near. He brought us near by the blood of Christ. And then check it out. It said he is our peace. It's not so much what he did that's our peace. Our peace is not found in a verb. It's found in a noun. He is our peace. That's why we call a sacred mission church. It's not because we're a memorial. It's not, we're not memorial mission church. We're sacred mission church because we're believing that Jesus is alive and well. He is our peace, and he is on a sacred mission for us and for this region, and that's what we're about. He tore down the dividing wall by courageously, he entered into the holy of holies of the temple the old way. And what, So if we would have tried to walk into the holy of holies, it would have said, prepare for your imminent death. He prepared for his death so that we could have access and life through what he tore down. And, um, and even in the temple system, if you remember uh, Bible stories and stuff, at the actual death of Jesus, there was a giant veil that was uh, knitted by uh, the ladies of Israel, and it was this... this Actually, this is probably like a very accurate interior size of the temple. And halfway, there was a, there was a, a thick curtain that just went from top to bottom. And, uh, and when Jesus died on the cross, uh, history, and no one ever refuted this historically, is that the curtain actually tore in two that was inside of the Holy of Holies, um, that, uh, that the ground is level now at the foot of the cross. God's people don't look down on each other. 
Now that the way is open, we don't, because there used to be what was happening is that if you're in this like area that you can get into, but there's all these other people who aren't allowed to get close to God, you kind of being like, eh, those people are kind of, yeah, they deserve to be over there. I deserve to be over here. But now that the veil is open and the one who is preaching peace to us who are far off, peace to those who are near, as this veil is torn, what God's people have realized is that racism is torn in that moment. That classism is torn in that moment. That holding grudges is torn at that moment because at our most core identities, Jesus is preaching peace to us there. Saying, hey, the way is open to God for all people, for people who are far and people who are near. So we're preaching peace. And look at that, it's for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned in that one sentence. So this is a Trinitarian, through Jesus we all have access in one spirit to the Father, open to all of us. That's why he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Um, So he's preaching peace. Here's what's fascinating. When he is preaching peace, what do we choose when we reject his offer of peace? We choose war, right? Like if, if, there's a, if there's a peace treaty and it's like, hey, I'm offering you peace, and you're like, no, I'll take the other way. Really? And man, that's, that's what Paul's communicating to us. That's what God is communicating to us. And uh, here, just ask us, is like, are we with Paul? Have we remembered that the way was blocked and now we're reconciled? And is the place open to you? Are you in Christ? This reconciling God, this pursuing God, hostility is gone. He says, I want peace with you. I'm pursuing peace with you. Is there peace between you and God? If the answer is yes, remember that. So that's a big part of Ephesians 2, is if the answer is yes, remember that. Like even when you're driving around, driving to Ames and stuff, to just look in the rearview mirror and just be like, man, the way was blocked for you. And you're in Christ, and the way is open. Remember that. Cherish that. Live in that reality. Paul's saying, savor it. Let it be the roots that direct you from this place. And if the answer is no, man, my, my question for you is just like, what would need to happen for you to step towards him in peace? And it might be like super rightful things. It's like, well, I don't know if the Bible's true, or I don't know why that happened in my family. I don't know why that happened to me. And we would love to, to lock arms with you, to pray with you, to walk with you in all of that. That would be a joy and a privilege. He tore down the wall blocking your way to God. And then one more question for all of us is, uh, as there's peace between us and God, it's clear that there should be peace among us. As he is the one that is proclaiming peace, you know, so if it's like, Tanner, peace, Tim, peace, and I'm like, well, I hate Tanner. And it's like, well, Jesus is proclaiming peace to both of us. We should be able to see Jesus so I don't see Tanner as much and his sin and he doesn't see me and my flaws as much or our history together and all that stuff that we can actually forgive grudges. And this is where the passage could have ended. It could have been like, okay, that's the end. He has opened the way for us and this is the end of the story. But the story is just heating up. The verses are not over here. What he goes to now is just absolutely crazy. 
Let the power of verses 19 through 22 break into our ordinary lives. If you're not sure if these verses are true, would you even ask God, God, if these are true, I don't think you're played in hide-go-seek, would you let me feel the power of these words? When our ordinary lives encounter the extraordinary God, life changes. Look at verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. If we had to summarize this section, I think we could say something like, be ready. We're his place now. We're his place now. Let's go back to the temple system. So first you like couldn't God was dwelling there, and we couldn't get to him. The way was blocked. And Paul says, remember that the way was blocked. And now he's saying, like, no, he actually tore down that wall. We can now get to him. But he's saying, no, no, it doesn't stop there. That's all us moving towards him. And what we're realizing is actually he's coming towards us. And I remember actually raising my, I think Silas was just like a couple weeks old, and he's 12 years old now, but Patty knew like my dream was to go to Jerusalem, and I had a class in seminary where I could spend basically a month in Israel and just see all the sites and all that stuff. And I remember being far from home and overlooking uh, parts of the old city of Jerusalem where all of the Psalms were written, where, where David lived, where like all of that, like archaeologically, like it's all like, I mean, it, it's just like right there, that it all happened just the way the Old Testament says it happened. And I remember looking at where the temple once stood and just like almost losing my breath because I was so overwhelmed with the power of that moment. And then realizing these verses that actually say, this is his temple now. This is, I remember just thinking like, I should look at Ian Freeman with like the awe and wonder that I'm looking at like this empty place where the temple once stood. And because I'm like, oh my gosh, he's dwelling in his church now. And this is what he's telling us is like, actually we are his living body now where before he would dwell in a, in a place, now he's dwelling in a people can you believe what is communicated to us in verse 22? In, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. A few things. In order for this to be true, to be his dwelling place, we have experienced unbelievable redemption. Unbelievable redemption. For a holy God to dwell in us and all of the yous in this, this is where, like, when you lived in Oklahoma, it was really easy to say because we use the word y'all all the time. And we usually were made fun of saying y'all until we realized, like, it's actually really helpful in certain circumstances because it's you in the plural, y'all. And so this is a y'all. So all of the yous in here are plural, meaning when he's speaking in this passage, he's speaking to the room of those who are in Christ. And that is us. And so for that to be true, we have experienced incredible redemption. And most of the time, I don't even want to dwell with myself. <laughs> like most of the time, I'm like, ugh, today I am just like not a guy I want to be around. 
but that we have been so changed that God is dwelling in us. Second, for this to be true, we have incredible value. Incredible value. Man, it's so easy to look at each other and not see value. It's so easy to look in the mirror and not see value and just be like, and maybe it's things that have been done to you, things you've done, where you're just, you just don't see the value that God must see to realize like he is pleased to dwell with us in this place. How much value do we have? And then, um, man, in order for this to be true, we have a lifetime of purpose. A lifetime of purpose. I think it's easy to just kind of believe that we're born, we struggle, we pay taxes, and we die. And that can feel like life. We just work, pay taxes, and die. Is that all there is? And it's not true. What, I mean, there is no purpose I can imagine than having the living God like trying to keep up with what he's doing in our community and to keep up with him, recognizing the purpose that he gives us. Um, I had the privilege, uh, there's a, a good friend of mine named Eric Weisenbaugh that went to the, some of the greatest schools. He actually, um, uh, he was studying to be a doctor and he did all of his work at the Mayo Clinic, like all of his residency and stuff. So his resume was just incredible. Parents were doctors that lived in Hawaii and, um, and he got this really bad tumor on his spine and it became clear that he was going to have maximum a year to live. And man, you could just, like when I met with him and started to get to know Eric, my thought was, man, I'm not going to see this guy. I'm not going to see him at all for the next year, because if you know you're only going to live for a year, he's going to be like in Paris, he's going to be in Rome, he's going to just be traveling the world and all this stuff. And when I met with him, he said, Tim, this is what I want to do. He said, I want to read the entire word of God. I want to hear every word that God has for me this side of heaven. And he had, he had really little kids. He's like, I want to tuck my kids into bed every night, and I want to be a part of my church. And I met with him every week and loved that man dearly until he died. And, um, but he had a purpose, even knowing he only had a year to live out that purpose, because he understood that he was a part of God's church. Redemption, value, purpose, it's incredible. If you ever doubt your importance in this world, if you ever doubt that God's approval of you, his presence inside of you should make it clear that he is for our joy. He loves you because he loves you. Remember the place to him was blocked. Remember he tore down the wall. Be ready, we're his place now. Um, if the worship team wants to come up to start uh, leading us, it's very appropriate to worship him. But these are the treasures in Ephesians 2. And uh, I can't wait for just a little preview of coming attractions for our community groups to launch. So what our community groups are going to be about is basically we're going to have just people meeting in a home in Baxter. So if you kind of live in the Baxter area or you care about Baxter, we're just going to, we're going to meet up. Uh, so we're going to meet here gathered on Sunday, and then we're going to scatter into our communities throughout the week, and we'll meet in Baxter for those who live in that area, and, uh, and basically just talk this, talk this over, share our stories a little bit, 
pray for each other, see how the Lord's doing it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of one another's of scripture that, we, or that we'll be planning to live out. We'll have a group starting in Collins. We'll have a group starting in Maxwell initially. So we'll have at least those three groups uh, starting in just a couple weeks to then, to then take this like a step further and to take it into our communities and love our communities with these realities. Um, with vitality and a live power, would we respond by taking communion? So this was Jesus' idea. He moves towards us. He's pleased to dwell in us. And one of the pictures that he gave of us and said, hey, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we've talked about uh, a lot of churches do this once a year. Some churches do this quarterly. Some churches do this monthly. Um, uh, we're, we've chosen to do this weekly. And uh, kind of the pushback at times can be, well, will it lose its significance and value if we do this weekly? And, uh, and so what my prayer is, is that we preach the word weekly, we worship God weekly. There's a lot of things that we do weekly. Why would we not come to the table weekly as well and, uh, and to come and, and to receive the elements? And so uh, his, the, the bread represents his body lived in our place. He lived the life that we couldn't live so that we could live with him from the inside out as he dwells with us we take the bread from the inside out and then the juice is the light color wine is the darker color obey your conscience there but that is his blood shed for us washes us white as snow and so what we'll do is we'll come and and get the elements get the bread get the wine or juice and then we'll go back uh, so feel free to stay sta standing but then as it, once everybody has the the bread and the wine we'll take it together as as one one body taking it um, if jesus is not your savior in, in this place man you could be here for weeks months years even there's no pressure i think you're at the best place that you can be to hear the claims of jesus being a part of a church and um and it, it, you could just kind of enter into all this but what i would ask you to do is to consider not taking this but take jesus put your trust in him let all these things be true for you be a part of this uh because he deserves it he's earned it so um so let's come let's take the elements let's respond to jesus and then our worship team will lead us from there